Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Welcome to episode 95 of Americans Watching the Footy. I am Ethan Castle coming to you from South San Francisco, California. I am Benjamin Castle coming to you from South San Francisco, California. Brian Harame the Footy Cat is next to Ethan on his bed. This is a special round, not only because it's Mother's Day, but because another major holiday actually taking place at the time we record this, May 10th. Benjamin, do you know what holiday takes place on May 10th? You know what? I only do because I saw that you had tweeted about it. So, uh, Fuck. yeah. Happy Whacking Day. It's Whacking Day. You know, it's not as good as Weasel Stomping Day. I wonder if it served as an inspiration. It might have. But yeah, I hope you've had, if you're listening to this now, I hope you've had a special Whacking Day. I hope you've been whacking it nonstop. I'm sure your hands will be tired from all that whacking. You said it, not me. Let's get straight to the footy here. This is our round nine preview, and the scheduling's a bit different for this round. We've got a Friday doubleheader, and so the format is 2-5-2. Yeah, I read, so this is actually because of Mother's Day. Usually Mother's Day games aren't as well attended. So they decided and said, yeah, we'll put a second game on Friday, and they spaced it out, so the kind of like the time between the two games bouncing is similar to what you'd have on a Sunday. So there's no Sunday overlap, which means we get two standalone games this round, whereas under the one five three format, we usually get, you only get the one standalone game in its entirety, the Friday game. And then that middle Saturday game, the, the 4.35 p.m. start, will barely be cut into as well. That one nearly always has that time slot to itself, although I'm not sure how interesting that one's going to be. It's going to be a good time for me to play Wordle and a bunch of other games. Wordle itself doesn't take that long. I imagine you'll have all your games done well in advance of the bounce between Richmond and Geelong at the G, which will be at 2.20 a.m. Pacific time on Friday the 12th, so 5.20 a.m. Eastern in the U.S., 7.20 p.m. local. This will be on Fox Sports 2. It'll be one of three games on regular U.S. TV this round. All three of those will be on Fox Sports 2. There's a clear disparity in where these teams stand right now, but Geelong are pretty banged up. And this matchup tends to deliver some pretty intense games. Right now, the Tigers, who will be the home team for this game, are 2-5-1. They're in 15th after their win over the Eagles. Cats, 5-3. Five-game winning streak, longest active streak in the league. They come in in 6th after the win over the Crows. These teams meeting just once for the second year in a row. That meeting last year was one of the best games in the entire season. You know... Teams other than Collingwood did play close games, and this one was very close with Jack Henry's insane mark and game-winning goal inside the final two minutes, giving the Cats a three-point victory. This was also the game where 
Tom Stewart got a four-game suspension for bumping Dion Prestia. He ended up playing really well down the stretch. I'm sure he will be a main character in this game. He'll be the acting captain for this game, so uh, it's going to start before the bounce, probably. I think he and Prestia, have, you know, they've talked. I think they're fine. I'm sure there's going to be, you know, some some booing, which some, yeah, which really isn't a big deal, especially because there's going to be no possibility of a racial undertone. It's just Tom Stewart. Yeah. By the way, I, I do want to address the thing real quick with Buddy. I hope there was no racial undertone to it, and it was, and it was just you're a really good player on the opposing team, and and you've delivered against Collingwood so many times. Yeah, it's like you know, people booing Ichiro wasn't a racial thing. It was you're a really good player on the other team. I think maybe some of the concern may have also grown out of the last time Collingwood and Sydney played at the G was when there was the Adam Goods incident. Yeah, so I get it. Unfortunately, it's one of those things where you really can't ask people because do you ask like the entire Collingwood fan base? How do you how do you survey them all? You weren't willing to ask people, hey, you're racist. Yeah, I hope it was just, you know, I hope there's nothing more to it. I hope this can all blow over and it can just be a football thing, which this one should certainly be. Richmond definitely has some changes to make. Noah Cumberland was quiet after being a late re-entry into the 22 last week so he's probably actually going to sit quiet more like non-existent more like worthy of one of those sarcastic woke up feeling dangerous fake stat line tweets and i like noah his ceiling i mean we know that his ceiling's really high he just happens to have a really low floor and with how he's been treated this year i'm wondering you know how supported he feels at the club I, i don't think his contract's up this year but Maybe watch for him to consider a move to Queensland. I'm really glad I dropped him before this game. Trent Cotchin will be back in after he was managed last week, and we thought Yvonne Soldo would be back, but he remains out with his foot injury, so the onus remains on Samson Ryan to really step up as that first-rate ruck. He did good work last week, especially in the second half once he started varying his taps a little bit more, talked about how he's learning on the fly in our last recap. Tyler Young is also a test with a leg injury. That's Ty Lar Young as opposed to New York Mets pitcher Ty Lor McGill. Ah, yes. And even though Young has had some issues with sticking some marks in defense, seems like Richmond's really backing him in. And Sarah Black reports that Hugo Ralph Smith is the most likely one to make way for Young, which I know you're not pleased about, Ethan. I think he's a guy who would work really well as a sub because that speed can play anywhere. And if nobody gets hurt, you just bring him in late in the game, and it's like, hey, here's a really fast guy. Fuck with it. So the Caps, in addition to the people they were already missing, Patrick Dangerfield's now going to be out with a hamstring. We don't know how long. It sounds like this could be a pretty minor one. Brad Close's suspension was upheld because basically any tackle where you don't land the guy on top of you, you can get suspended. At least they've been consistent about it, and all of those appeals have failed. Brandon Parfit could be a logical replacement for Dangerfield as not had a good year at the AFL level, but I think if he just plays as kind of a watered-down version of Dangerfield, I'd take it, and we know he has the speed to do it. There's a chance Sam DeConan gets back in from his facial surgery, and then Dangerfield was included in the injury report under that same umbrella as Jack Bowes, Cam Guthrie, and Gary Rowan, all of which are short-term injuries. This is the new thing for Geelong, huh? Yeah, I, I kind of love it. 
like it's very annoying and I'm sure it pisses people off if we don't get a timetable of like, oh yeah, he's three to five weeks. It's nope, it's just short term or long term or medium term. With all the outs, we've been expecting that we'd see a Geelong debut, and it's now been announced that pick number eight from this past year's draft, Jai Clark, will be the one to get his first AFL game. Had done really nice work in the reserves the past couple weeks, and the opportunity is here for him, and let's hope he seizes it. Oh, by the way, one other thing that I do want to mention, sometimes I'll refer to injuries, you know, as someone's status as doubtful, questionable, or probable. That's kind of how an NFL injury report works. Like, it's just everyone just being a test doesn't seem right. Yeah, so what I kind of try to do is read between the lines and figure out, you know, doubtful is significantly less than 50% likely to play and probable is significantly more than 50% likely to play. That's, if that terminology has ever confused you because you don't pay attention to NFL stuff, that's basically the... I, I mean, I think it's pretty I think it's pretty intuitive, though. Cats favored by 21 and a half? This ought to be a closer game than... I think that is a little high, just considering the number of guys that they're going to be down from the normal best 22. Even though Richmond's still shorthanded, and we know that they can be undisciplined, that is one thing. It's... It's weird not thinking, oh man, Richmond's a terrible team to have a guy debut against because you know they're going to jump on any and all mistakes when Richmond themselves have been so mistake prone, but they're going to be a tough test. They're going to be up for this game. I mean, most people get up to play the reigning premiers, but I think Richmond especially, when you consider the whole Prestia storyline, you expect it's going to be a quality crowd. It's either that or... Or you could just see this as the average of potential outcomes and Geelong could end up winning by 60. Yeah, I, it's going to be hard to blow this team out. I would love to. If there's going to be a blowout, it'll be because Richmond's back line will be exposed. Which, to be fair, the Caps have done to a lot of teams. But that midfield's going to be tough. Not looking forward to dealing with Taranto, Hopper, Prestia. Prestia, with a rare three-goal game last week, had a hat-trick three in a row. Hopefully can... Limit Shea Bolton better than the Eagles did. Bolton had probably his most complete game of the year against West Coast. Scored well and also was involved in enough scoring passages for other players too. Or maybe he just takes another flyer over Blitzovs and gets another car. That happened in 2021. But the Cats won that game. The Cats have won three in a row against Richmond. I am fine with allowing the awesome marks if you win. Now starting 80 minutes after Richmond and Geelong, you've got the Coast Clash. West Coast and Gold Coast at Optus Stadium. 6.40 p.m. local in Perth, so 8.40 Australian Eastern Time. 6.40 a.m. Eastern, 3.40 a.m. Pacific for American audiences. This will be a Fox Soccer Plus game, so most people will probably be tuning in on Watch AFL. Eagles enter at 1-7. They're at 17th after losing to Richmond. The Suns lost by 5 to Melbourne and enter at 3-5 in 14th. It's weird saying this now, but like, the Suns aren't completely dead. I still think they'd have to go a really long way to have a legitimate shot at making finals. But, I, I mean, you can see how much that Frio loss at Norwood hurts right now. Because that was a game that was there for them. But they're not not—they're not dead. No, they've played pretty well without Tuke Miller. Which may be the most surprising thing. They took it to Richmond and then very nearly beat Melbourne. Last year, this was a double up. Eagles and Suns opened the year in Perth. Isaac Reichen kicked four goals as the Suns won by 27. 
I remember being pretty disappointed that game because I thought it was a very winnable opener. And then, I mean, it didn't get much better for the rest of the season. Look, to be fair, the guys the Eagles were missing in that game, you know, kind of set the tone for the rest of the year. And they had a couple more injuries in that opener as well. Suns only won by three points in the reverse fixture round 20 on the Gold Coast, though admittedly, Jermaine Jones had a goal on the final siren to put the margin back to three. Jack Darling kicked six goals in a losing effort, while Bobby Troll kicked five straight. That was a much more watchable game, though. That, like, that was the sort of game that like, gives you a little hope for the Eagles, where it's like, all right, they're turning a corner. A lot of it was just injuries. They can be competitive. One can hope. I mean... Definitely doesn't help that Jai Cully is done for the year, having injured his ACL in the first quarter against Richmond. Not just injured, but I would I would imagine torn, you know. ACL and just a straight up ACL injury, you know. Hopefully it's not the last of him in blue and gold. It sounds like he's going to re-sign, but I'm going to be nervous until he's put pen to paper. He is for regional Victoria. I mean, look. The Eagles are probably a good spot for him because he probably just wants to get in games. It would be tough for the Cats to make room for a second player with dreads. I mean, Grind's hair has been a lot shorter, but... I mean, yeah, your cat's hair is certainly not dreads. Yes, but I'm also talking about Big Grian. Ah, of course. Or Human Grian. Sam Petrovsky seaton served a one-week suspension for a bad tackle, but he still has a quad injury, corked it in that round seven game, so he's... Somewhere in the test category, Camel Chester was available as an emergency round date, so hopefully he's back in fall soon. You can see Zane True get elevated from the sub role. Looking further along the injury report, Harry Edwards should be ready for a return from his wrist injury. Brady Hoff has recovered from his hamstring problem. Not sure if he gets in right away or if he goes into the waffle. I am a big advocate of Hoff's game as a defensive wing, and... Do we see Kyle Jameson coming for ruck support against Jared Witts and Bobby Archol and whoever else the Suns might try in there at times, Casbolt even? It's going to be incredibly tough for Bailey J to be in there for the full game, even though he's looked like a more competent and more complete player these past few weeks. Suns' injury report is pretty brief. Ben Ainsworth has a corked thigh and Nick Holman has a foot injury. Both of them are questionable. And yet, if Noah Anderson keeps playing like he has it's just like whatever you could basically play with like no midfield other than anderson the way he's been playing lately Ad- admittedly matt Rowell, raid fiorini have been helpful in, on the inside and rory atkins from defensive wing but they've got real structure there still without miller and the depth is clear with what they have to keep in the reserves we went through the list of players that played reserves last week for the suns against casey yeah they have more than enough VFL guys that can that can step up if needed. Now I'm wondering how many of them are going to want to stick it out there or look for more immediate opportunities elsewhere. Which is a good problem to have. You just got to make sure you pick the right ones. And unfortunately, Suns list management is not something that... I mean, cap management is more of the issue, I think. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I'd be willing to take Noah Anderson and pick seven. Suns are favored by 20 and a half, which seems... A little bit low. This is going to be a six-goal margin at least. That said, yeah, the, the Eagles played three quarters of decent football last week, and they're getting healthier, so... They played close to three quarters before I think Prestia's goals demoralized them. They're a young group. They need to still 
get a little bit more motivation from higher up to be able to finish out games where it's clear that they're not going to win. It's a difficult thing for a coaching staff to have to do, but not giving that effort in the fourth quarter is even worse. And it comes from, you know, the on-field leadership as well. If you see, you know, Shannon Hurd and Tom Barris still giving their all the fourth quarter defensively, maybe something will click in the midfield of the forward group other than Oscar Allen needing to kick two goals again. Ian Jeremy Cameron are the only players to have kicked multiple goals in every game thus far. I know we've talked about Oscar Allen a lot, but to see the level he's played at when you consider the amount of time he's missed, hard not to be impressed. And the best thing about him, he is from the West. He's not going anywhere. We move on to Saturday, and what I think might be my favorite matchup of this round are three games that really stand out to me, and I think if I had to rank them, this would be number one. Really, even with both these teams being under 500? Yeah, that's kind of the reason. Sydney hosting Frio at the SCG. Both these teams come in at three and five. Time zones for us on the West Coast of the United States, Friday night, 8.45 p.m., 11.45 p.m. Eastern Time in the U.S., Saturday, 1.45 p.m., actually at the SCG, 11.45 a.m. if you're in the West. This will be a Fox Soccer Plus game, but I'll be watching, obviously. And this is one that, like, this is one of those Saturday openers that I'm really, really pumped for because these are two teams that had been, you know, pegged as finalists that you fall to three and six. I mean, the latter's so bunched up that you wouldn't be dead, but... You wouldn't be doing yourself any favors. They're right next to each other on the ladder. Sydney are 11th, Fremantle are 12th. The percentage gap between them is 4.5%. Sydney, a point under 100%. Well, I guess, thinking about it, you know, the Geelong and Hawthorne games kind of offset each other. And then they also have a one-point loss. They also have a couple of really close losses. And the comfortable win over the Suns. Actually, really, all three of their wins are pretty comfortable, just... The Tigers one wasn't as comfortable in nature, but by final margin, it it did the job. They grew that one out pretty late. I wish I had been able to watch more of the game that these teams played last year live because it was while my dad and I were driving up to Oregon late at night to get to the World Athletics Championships. I remember just following the scoreline for this game and catching some highlights when we were making our stops and being surprised that anyone beat Fremantle out West because the Swans won that game 82 to 65. I remember they just kind of put the clamps on them and really imposed their will against a team that plays such a distinct style. Yeah, I mean, it, from what I remember, the Swans led that one pretty much the whole way. It was just like a pretty convincing authoritative performance that weather didn't have much to do with, unlike a lot of Frio losses last year. A lot being two. I feel like there were a couple other games where even just a light drizzle fucked him up pretty good. We thought maybe Tom Hickey would have been ready to enter against Collingwood. He's definitely ready now, and I imagine that he, and I imagine he'll be straight in. There's more of a question around Peter Laddams because he has a neck injury. I thought at first that it was something with his left arm or wrist because he was holding that in the first quarter. Maybe there's something with the nerves as to where that injury is being felt, but if Laddams is healthy, does he stay in and Hayden McLean get dropped? McLean did have a goal last week, got more involved than I expected. In a team with a lot of injuries, there's a bit of a squeeze right now in terms of the taller players. And that's even with Sam Reed, unfortunately, being out for the year, as we recently found out, because he's got to undergo some more intensive hamstring surgery. 
but this is a team that tends to play smaller now. Yeah, some of that's been by force rather than by choice. If it was up to them, they'd probably still have a bit more of a balance there, but I think they've shown that they do have the ability to manage when needed. Shiver. Yes. Oh, who'd they play in the, in the VFL last week? The Swans suck. The Swans reserves suffered a narrow defeat, but there were a number of individuals who stood out. Will Gold, Dylan Stevens, and Corey Warner have all had AFL time this year, obviously. Stevens had been needing a bit of a wake-up call, and I think that omission was warranted. And then Hugo Hulkan and Lewis Melkin have not had AFL time yet this year. If you are looking for a little bit more hype, Hulkan, who was their midseason draft pick last year, is 188 centimeters. Rio shouldn't have anyone really added or subtracted injury-wise. I would think they go pretty much unchanged other than whether or not Nat Fife's going to be the sub again or if he's just going to be in. Fife was subbed in for Josh Tracy, who played a pretty good game and was a very welcome in as a tall forward, be able to relieve Jayamis of some of his pressure. There would be such an obvious target a lot of the time. Lockie Schultz did injure his AC joint, but he sounds good to go. Now, they've had some good waffle performances from Will Brody, Liam Henry, and Nathan Wilson. Seems weird that Brody's been playing waffle. He's the only one of those three that I would consider to put in. You've probably heard us a few times just very critical of Henry and Wilson's performances. When the two of them were finally dropped to the same week, it almost made me wonder if Justin Longmuir was listening to us. If he is listening to us, he'll also keep the team playing more like their 2022 style rather than freeze mantle. Is that a term you made up? No, that's been in broadcast and media. Was that something, I'm going to guess that was something from like when Ross Lyon was there? Could have been. Didn't have nearly as good a chance for a pun with that with St. Kilda, I guess. Like slow Kilda or something, that isn't right. All I think of is that they should have something with Colonel Sanders because their logo literally says St. KFC, which I don't think gets talked about enough. But the Saints aren't playing on Saturday at all. Yeah, the uh, Swans are, and they're favored by 21 and a half, which... Home field advantage? I guess, but I think that's really high because, like, have you watched them lately? Have you watched their fourth quarters lately? I mean, both these teams have had problems closing out games. So if this ends up being a really frustrating fourth quarter watch or a behind fest, you heard it here first. With how the Swans kicked last week near the end, I can really see it. I think it would be hard for this game to not be compelling. Especially given the context of where these teams stood last year, where they stand now, how much this game means in the immediate sense. That's that's again what gets me so excited about this game is there's some desperation here. Meanwhile, the only desperation at Bluntstone Arena will be probably banter surrounding Jason Horn Francis. I'm bummed out that this game is in Tasmania rather than in Victoria. I know that everything with Horn Francis being booed everywhere he goes has been something that detracts from really the conversation around how he's improved within this season. Yeah, look, if you're a player and you're getting booed, unless someone who's close enough to you that they can say something like really hurtful, unless that's going on, why does it matter? And also the media referring to it so much probably doesn't help. They're stoking their own flames. The, the whole thing has been pretty overblown. But look, this is the game where it, where it's kind of meant to happen. Plus, my other thing is, like, you should embrace getting booed because if you're getting booed when you go for a set shot and you score, you can have some fun with it. Like, I feel like the way Kyle Langford responded to the fan just, like, dropped the ball in front of him, that was, that was the best possible way to handle it. It was like a Marlon Pickett against Port last year. 
It was a fan who was heckling him. He kicked a somewhat difficult set shot, just turned around, basically put his arms out. Also, Port had threatened legal action after a brewery in Queensland made a beer called Ice Bath, which I think is awesome. Does the the packaging or the can have like Port Francis's likeness or a Port Jumper on there? Yeah, it it has him, but like, is the jumper the issue then? No, the the issue he's he's in a bath that's got like blue and white stripes. It's Matthew Richardson saying, you know, this is not lighthearted fun, as you put it. The AFL and AFLPA have been informed. You should remove any use of Jason's image immediately and any reference to him. Like, well, if when Port win this game, he should drink it in the postgame. That's like Rory Love had fun with it. I want to drink lobster tears. I think that's I, I thought Port was supposed to be a fun club. I remember a time where after after a big win, somebody brought in a drum to the circle when they were doing power to win afterward. Like, this is the club that has had to fight tooth and nail over the prison bars. Like, this, sh- they should be the opposite of this. And I feel like Horton Francis himself would, pro- would probably say that. Like, nah, let me have Adam. Let me have Adam on the oval, and then I'll laugh about it when we, when we take him down. But yeah, that's, that's the main story for this game. It'll be offset by 25 minutes, as usual. This will be the Fox Sports 2 game. I think that's just a regular FS2 time slot now. Which would make sense because, you know, programming starts at 9 p.m. our time or midnight Saturday on the East Coast. You get 10 minutes of pregame stuff and then you bounce. In Tasmania, it'll be a 2.10 p.m. local bounce. In Adelaide, it'll be 1.40. Oh, just realize this will also be the first game in Tasmania since they received the license. So I would love to see, like, if there's, a, like, a fan group already developing or if you see people in, like, classic Tasmanian state jumpers at the stands. I just want to see people pissing off Warner Brothers over the name. Oh, I want to see, like, huge Tasmanian Devil signs. Like, a, give me a Taz Tifo. Actually, you know what I just decided? The best case scenario is they don't get the name The Devils. They get some stupid name nobody likes, and everyone just calls them The Devils anyway. Like when Melbourne were the Fuchsias. This is news to me. Okay, this was, like, over 100 years ago. That's just, like, you know, the Brooklyn Bride or something the superbas old-timey team names are fun uh the providence steamroller is a favorite of mine the boston bean eaters the dayton triangles who i believe played in the first game between two nfl teams when it wasn't even called the nfl yet north and port come in with reverse records north are two and six they're in 16th after losing to st kilda in a game that nobody should go back and try to watch if they haven't already the only way you watch it is if it's like, let's watch this really shitty movie on purpose, because it, it's not just that the kicking was bad, it's that the game was fucking boring. There are always twice as many uncontested possessions as contested. You can't make this a so bad it's good thing. It was both bad and boring, and you don't want to be bad at boring. Port come in at 6-2, and two. they've rattled off five straight wins now, after surviving at home against Essendon. Interestingly... This game was played round nine at Bloodstone Arena as well last year, and Port won that game by a pretty nice margin. Yeah, they, uh, without even looking, can tell you they won that game by 69. You know, it's interesting, last year's Port team couldn't win close games. This year they have. Their percentage is just 100 free. It is easily the worst of the four teams at 6-2. and two. It is also worse than four teams that are beneath them. This sounds like the discussions we had about Collingwood near the end of last year. So is it something about black and white? No, I think it's just, 
I don't think they're as well coached as Collingwood. You know, I think that's kind of an obvious one, but some of this is just regression and some of this is better health. Speaking of health, injury report for North Melbourne, Callum Coleman-Jones should be back from concussion protocol and Tom Powell, or multiple Powells throughout the league, as you probably know, should be back from his ankle injury. Will Phillips played well in VFL. They could have a debut this week, somewhere between 2020 fourth rounder Eddie Ford, 2022 father-son pick Cooper Harvey, a few other players coming back from injury for the Kayas, Aiden Bonner, Josh Doder, George Wardlaw. They're all more likely to play in the reserves this week. Will Phillips having a strong game against Port would be really, really funny because Kane Corns has been so critical of North for drafting Phillips when really Phillips couldn't do much to help his cause when Logan McDonald started off so well and he was picked right after him. And Phillips also missed all of last year with multiple bouts of mono or as Australians call it, glandular fever. Yeah, mono's nasty stuff. I remember when Aaron Gordon was playing through and as a high school junior, I remember watching a game that he played in Berkeley where he nearly single-handedly took down a very talented team from across the bay before he fouled out in overtime. And Aaron Gordon won tonight. We're recording this a few hours after the Nuggets closed out the game five win against the Suns. Not a huge NBA fan, but I'd love to see Aaron Gordon get a championship. Any guy whose high school coach texts you post-game stats without even being prompted to, gotta respect. Don't expect many changes for Port because Tom Jonas and Zach Butters are expected to play. Yay, hamburgers. Jonas was subbed out with some sternum soreness. There was concern that Butters might have messed up his knee in the fourth, but he finished out the game. Kane Farrell could be available returning from a neck injury that sidelined him for a couple weeks. And we've just found out that Junior Rioli was suspended for two games, not three, because the impact was downgraded too high from severe for the hit he put on Jordan Ridley well away from the play. What what were the other kind of conclusions? So it was high contact. What were the others? Looked like it was careless conduct. So not deliberate. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think it was, but good. We didn't have a good angle on it, but the angle we had made it look not deliberate, so I'm glad that's the case. I'm also glad that even though I don't like Junior being suspended because he's been a more competent and just level-headed player this year, I like that the subject of our first tweet from our Americans Watching the Footy Twitter account, Lockie Jones, is under consideration for a return. He hasn't played at AFL level since giving up a couple goals in a showdown. Was he the one who got pointed at? Oh yeah, Riley Philthorpe made sure he knew, you gave me that goal. If there's a we didn't bounce the share in this year, I I know that would be tough to include, and it's not a particularly memorable moment, but I enjoyed it. Or maybe we could just make a video of, like, 2023 AFL moments you probably forgot about. Like, moments you forgot about, but should give some level of consideration to. Porter favorite by 31 and a half. I mean, is this an average outcome? Could you see North hanging in this game for long enough? More than that, I see Charlie Dixon or Jeremy Finlayson kicking four goals at least. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see Ben McKay hang in against Charlie Dixon. I'd love to see him be healthy for a full game to do that. Because it feels like anytime you're excited to watch Ben McKay, he gets concussed. He, yeah. And Griffin Logue as well has not been up to the standard that he was at, that we saw from him last year. The cool thing about Griffin Logue is that you can probably find another spot to put him at if you need instead of... You know, instead of just drop him, because he can kind of play 
all over. Does North really utilize a wing much? I mean, I see them trying to go inside so much between Simkin and Davies Uniac that it isn't really something I think about much with them. I mean, if you try to put Logue forward, though, it could get a bit crowded with him trying to compete with Zerhar and Marky at times. I, were, you, were you thinking about Logue maybe being like a taller wing? Yeah, which I know sounds a little, little strange, probably, but I think it could be interesting. We like this sort of scene out of some taller players being put into wing roles. Heck, we saw that from Ben Brown last year at one point. Guess it's good to mention Ben Brown here, not just because he's a Tasmania native, but we'll be talking about his potential return after the break. For those of you that aren't familiar with American Idol, that was the whole after the break thing. It's also important to remember that Ryan Seacrest is a midget and Joel McHale's way better looking and way cooler. Ryan Seacrest is actually 5'8", I believe. Okay, by Hollywood standards, it actually makes him tall. Hollywood's got a lot of really short people. Like, a lot of actors, if you took away the fact that they were in movies, they would just be short people who try to date women half their age. Ah, eh, Leo DiCaprio's six feet tall. But it's not exclusive to him. Eh, he's the one that, that comes to mind. Hey, you're already out of his dating range. I know. But yeah, there's a lot of violations of the half plus seven rule. On that note, follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Americans Footy. Personally, I am on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. I am on Twitter at Castle Media. Ryan Harambe, who's sitting next to me, is on Instagram at catnamedbrian. He's barely awake, but he's also giving himself and you a bath. Yeah, it's fun. Um, I think, like, you know how cats keep themselves clean by licking themselves? There's something, like, in cat saliva that I think, like, helps human skin. Someone who's a scientist, like, get a grant and do something about this, because, like, there's there, there might actually be something there. A, a scientist! Call a scientist! We pick things back up with the middle game on Friday night our time, Saturday afternoon in Australia. It's Hawthorne and Melbourne at the G, 4.35 p.m. local time. For American audiences, 2.35 a.m. Eastern Saturday the 13th, 11.35 p.m. Pacific Friday the 12th on Fox Soccer Plus and Watch AFL. This is not a matchup I think of as being deserving of being at the G or drawing a big crowd, but it's Hawthorne, so it's at the G. Yeah, these teams actually meet at the G twice. Um, this is the, this is one of just two double ups this round. I believe we mentioned that Sydney and Frio meet again at round 19. I hope we didn't overlook that. But uh, yeah, these teams will also play at the G round 23. Hawks come in at one and seven. They're in 18. These are six and two. They're in second. They have the best percentage of anybody, I believe. Yeah, not just the best percentage of the six and two teams. Yep. Yeah, percentage if if you were wondering these have the best percentage followed by the saints then the cats then the lions and then collingwood we're on collingwood percent watch and they're atop the ladder well i also made this observation last week that like percentage changes a lot more early in the season and is more interesting to watch because later in the season you know it doesn't move anywhere near as dramatically the only time it's dramatic is when it's really close between teams at the end of the season like we saw with the Bulldogs and Blues last year, or the Lions barely getting top four over the Dogs in 2021. I love the way it works because, like, soccer goal differential stuff is much more simple. This, like, I'd love to see what it was like before phones. Like, what would people just bring calculators to the ground? I, I'd love to see, like, someone with some really old, like, 
Texas Instruments calculator or just doing it by by hand, like pencil and paper. Fuck it. Bring your abacus to the footy. I don't think an abacus would help with division. That's really just for adding stuff. Bring the abacus anyway. An abacus could also be a noisemaker. Last year, the Hawks and D's met only once. It was technically a Melbourne home game. It was actually a Melbourne home game each of the past two years. The D's won by 10 points in a game that always remained close. Ben Brown and Jacob Kaziski both kicked four goals straight, but Melbourne looked like they could have blown it late, only kicking four points for the last quarter. They had trouble really emphatically closing out games last year. They had some disappointing fourth quarters during the home and away season. I remember coming out of that game just like impressed with Hawthorne. It was like, hell yeah, you guys are competitive. They've stayed competitive as much as they could this year. Yeah, it's just, I mean, last week they got rolled. Against Sydney, they got rolled. Against Geelong, they got rolled for a half. Other than that, though, it's you know it's not like week in, week out. It's like, all right, this is nap time. Back in 2021, round 18, we I guess we wish we'd known the Barrickville Sayers song at this point because they drew at 79 apiece. And I just wanted to mention that because it was a draw. Both the teams were even. Yeah, it's actually, so the Barrickville Singers, from a singer named Nick Kraft, who was part of a band called Minerva, and he was also a co-founder of a band called Sidewinder. But yeah, it's a draw. It's amazing. Yeah, we've only had one so far. This this matchup just screams, like, could easily be done in Tasmania, and I'm surprised that it hasn't been there in a minute. Or maybe even... Maybe even Alice Springs? I would not be opposed. I also just remembered Hawthorne had two draws in 2021 because they also tied with Richmond in the closing round. That was like the empty stadium draw was the most awkward thing you could ever have. It was also Sean Burgoyne's last game and Clarko's last game coaching Hawthorne. It was all just like, nobody's here for this. And the whole thing was just weird. Well, Melbourne are 5-0-1 in the last six meetings between these two sides. I feel like at some point it's got to break the other way, but it's going to be tough for that to happen with these teams in their current forms. Paul Thorne will be making a couple changes because Tyler Rockman was suspended and Josh Ward is ruled out with a foot injury. Easy ways to put to bring Luke Bruce and Chakwith Joth back in after they were both managed. Neither of them made the trip out west. And then, and then Box Hills kept up their good form of the VFL. Sam Butler, Cam McKenzie, and Max Ramsden, and former cat Cooper Stevens were all strong as Box Hill more than doubled up the ants. I'd really like to see Stevens in there. I like him. You like all your former cats. There are some that I don't miss, but like Stevens is just, I always thought of him as, hey, that's a good player who just wasn't going to have much of a chance here. Although, as it turns out, you know, the injuries, the way they've been, maybe he could have had a bit more of a chance, but I hope he gets into a position to succeed there. And there's no reason not to try it, try what they've got. Melbourne will be forced into at least one change. Jacob Van Royen's two-game suspension was upheld, which I totally don't agree with, but I don't have the background there, but it's like, I thought he went for the ball. He did go for the ball, but the fact that it was high impact and high contact meant that regardless of intent, he was going to get punished. That's just part of the rigidity of the match review system there, I think. By the way, I do like, you know, they break down, like, the conduct and the intent and the, you know, kind of grade of impact. I like that they do that. It, it's much clearer than whatever leagues in America do. Oh, the NHL is notoriously bad with this. Probably mentioned that before. 
I mean, I'm not sure how good of a job Michael Christian is doing in the first place, but he's not George Paris, so that's at least good. I also find it weird that it tends to be these really forward players who tended to be really physical and sometimes enforcers during their careers that are now heading player safety in hockey. Yeah, it's kind of kind of ironic, but also it's on the other hand, it's like, hey, they would probably know better than most, right? Paros was a pain to play against. Really smart dude, though. Not that not that, that really is relevant at all to probably anybody listening, but thought thought we'd share. So uh but Van Roy it out. Who's going to be in? We talked about it before the break. It's going to be Ben Brown, almost certainly, which is good because he hasn't really done anything to merit delisting. Him being hurt is part of why Van Royen was able to come in, found his form again these past couple weeks in the reserves. So let's have some chariots of fire action again at the AFL level. Give me those sweet, sweet long run-ups. I'm, I'm ready. Christian Salem is finally healed from his various knee problems. Sounds like he's going to be ramping up for a while in the VFL. Maybe he would come in for like Trent Rivers when that time comes. As, I mean, that's assuming, of course, that everyone else stays healthy. And Charlie Spargo played VFL last week. I think there's a very good chance he gets in. Try to maybe try to work him back a little more slowly after he was concussed. This could be a game where they manage someone or multiple someones. They're favored by 41 and a half. I'm, I have a feeling this one's going to be closer than that for a while. It's not going to be just like done by halftime, but that's a line that's tough. I got fucked by a 41 and a half point line last week. Thanks, Xavier O'Neal. So I'm, I'm, I'm not touching that. I don't trust like that. I don't trust like that. I wouldn't touch it with a 41 and a half foot pole. After that, we've got two pretty intriguing games. One, I think more so than the other with the, you know, they're starting five minutes apart. For some reason, last week, I think the two games started at basically the exact same time. The Instead of that little five-minute offset, which is really nice because of the way quarter breaks line up, and then there is enough like time at halftime where you can split from both, which I enjoy because that's a lot of times like when I take my shower and start getting ready to go straight to bed the moment footy ends. The first of these two games is Brisbane hosting Essendon at the Gabba. That's my assignment. And this will be... Just about everywhere in the world, Saturday, May 13th, 2.25 a.m. for us on the West Coast, 5.25 a.m. on the East Coast, 7.25 p.m. in Eastern Australia, and 12.25 p.m. on the lovely island of Socotra, basically the only part of Yemen anyone would want to visit right now. They have that really cool tree there, right? Yes, the Dragon's Blood tree. This will be a Fox Sports 2 game, um, 11.25 p.m. Hawaii. Oh, I guess it'll start Saturday, Friday for them. I, I always forget when Hawaii's two or three hours off. Yeah, they're they're three hours off from us right now. Okay. They don't use daylight time, so from March to the start of November, we're three hours ahead of Hawaii. Got it. Okay. The Lions enter at 6-2, having pretty convincingly beaten Carlton. Even though the margin wasn't that big, they controlled that game pretty much the whole way, especially in the second half. Third quarter was... A clinic was what really did. I mean, it was a clinic on one end and an absolute shit show on the other. Yeah, sounds about right. I mean, a lot of turnovers, but the Lions punished them more. And we couldn't say enough about Jack Payne's past few rounds. Essendon are now at 500. They're at 4-4. Four and four. They're in ninth after losing at Port. I don't think this is falling back down to earth. I think this is just reaching a tougher part of their schedule. Though they did have that impressive win against Melbourne. Not exactly sure where their ceiling is. Melbourne didn't play particularly well in that game in Adelaide, 
But I mean, this is a team that can contend. If they make finals, they'll lose first week, though, because that's the way it is. Actually, you know what? The Maple Leafs won a series for the first time since 2004. Essendon haven't won a final since 2004. Is this the year? Last year was the year for them to win a Thagava, though Brisbane was badly shorthanded by COVID. Still, it was like an inspiring performance by the Dons, despite that. I just... Oh, it was by 10? 78 plus 12. I don't know if I said... I might have said by 11 in that. No, you didn't. Well, just do it again in case. Here, I'm going to pull up. That's, that's when you were, like, pretty out of it when you were doing those later ones, huh? Can you make sure while you're at it she got those other games correct? I did. Oliver's ended up winning that game by 10. It was kind of one of those games where, like, yeah, you're Brisbane, you're frustrated, but it's hard to be too mad considering what you're missing. And if you're Essendon, you're proud of a really good win. It was like everyone kind of went away without too much disappointment. I think that was also a rare afternoon game at the Gabba. Yeah, it was. Uh, Dane Zorko's questionable for this week with a hamstring. That's what held him out last week. I just realized Kalabachi's been playing VFL, which is insane. Jared Lyons and Devin Robertson have played well at that level along with him. So, you know, if someone's got a minor injury or you just want to rest somebody, that's another spot to do it. Lyons has had a little bit of AFL time as a sub, and Robertson is someone that I hope the Eagles go after in the offseason. He's out of contract. It's just hard to create a spot on this list anywhere. Uh, where is Archie from? And, uh, hey, Archie is also from the West, played for South Fremantle in the Waffle. So, who knows? Essendon will be without Jordan Ridley after he was concussed by a stray arm from Junior Rioli. Sam Durham will be back from his suspension, which I remember we were both particularly confused about. That was a tackle of Blitzovs, right? Uh, I think so. A lot of options for changes because Alan Davy Jr. was hardly visible against Port. I think Walla being in may have taken away some opportunities from him. Nick Hyde wasn't great either. I mean, he's a clear sub-candidate, but I'm not sure if he's the right person to put in the 22 at this point. Looking at the reserves, Massimo D'Ambrosio, Will Stelling, Tex Wagonine have all been strong there. I'm surprised any of those would be down there, especially Snelling, because I've liked what I've seen out of him. If Ridley's out, then you'd expect Kyle Lankford to play back, so maybe that's an opportunity for Wagonine to come in to bolster the forward group. I just think, even if... Ridley and Jaden Laverde were healthy. This was going to be a really bad matchup for the Essendon defenders, and without them, it's going to be even worse. I think Joe Danaher should eat in this game, and I wouldn't be surprised if Jack Gunston gets a few as well, because maybe the Bombers are ready for Danaher and in turn focus all their energy on him, and Gunston just has like nobody to stop him. Gunston or Hipwood as well? Waiting for like a real big Eric Hipwood bag this year. He's He could easily kick six. I could see that. Caden Baldwin and rookie pick Rhett Montgomery have been talked about as being possible ins as well. I mean, no reason to, to not shake things up when they couldn't close out that game last round and there were some clear individual problem spots. This is a team that is still building. It's a team with a lot on the younger end. So get those guys in there, see what they can provide against a, against a tough opponent. I'm not opposed to that at all. Lions are favored by 25 and a half. Thoughts on that line, Ethan? I think they might win this one by a lot more. Between being at the GABA, the difficulty in anybody from Essendon's back group matching up against Danaher or Hipwood, which one of those will be Brandon Zirk Thatcher's dad this week? 
feel bad for Zerk Thatcher because he's just he's being forced to play in spots that aren't right for him. Like if his job is, you know, match up with Charlie Cameron, he did hold his own there. We liked his work against smaller defenders last year. They just don't have that key guy. And I imagine that's something that they'll be looking at in the trade period and in the draft as well. Mid-season draft, I'd even try to jump on it. Do they have a spot open? Don't know. If they do, clear area that they could address. The game that I will be focusing on starts five minutes later, and it's one that I'm pretty excited about. I think this is either my second or third favorite game of this round behind Sydney Frio. Where would Brisbane Essendon be? Four or five? Yeah, probably. But I identified a clear top three, and I think this is number three. And it's Carlton, quote, hosting the Bulldogs at Marvel because, you know, they're they're technically the home team. I'm thinking this is another game that should get 40,000 plus in there. I know the Dogs don't have great attendance, but, and Carlton have not been playing well as of late. I think this is a game that still gets a good draw. Like, if you were just assigning games off of who needs the larger venue, you'd probably put this one at the G instead of Melbourne and Hawthorne. But that's not how the agreement works. Yeah, and I mean, it's the Melbourne Cricket Club and the Melbourne Football Club. And I, it's a Hawthorne home game, though. Yeah, I know, but the D's playing at the G is never something that bothers me, even though it has far more seats than they know what to do with usually. So this one, like I said, 2.30 a.m. our time on the West Coast, 5.30 a.m. on the East Coast of the United States, 7.30 local time. It's a Fox Soccer Plus game. So I guess, oh, so I guess you have both the FS2 games, huh? Yeah, guess so. Hopefully I'll be able to get some more of my friends to watch along with me. Just give them something to bet on. That's like all it takes to get most people involved. People get way more involved in sporting events the moment they have a few dollars on it. Even, and I, I can attest to this, you know, when I have $5 on the game I wouldn't give a shit about otherwise, I give a shit. Xavier O'Neill. Yep. That's, uh, that was really frustrating. Dogs and Loser right next to each other on the ladder. Dogs in 7th at 5-3 and three after winning in Canberra. Blues still in the 8, 4-3-1 and one after losing to the Lions at Marvel last Friday. These teams also played at Marvel last year, and the Blues held on to win by 12 in round 2 in a game that the Bulldogs technically hosted, but there were more Blues fans there, I would imagine. The Bulldogs, despite being 5-3, and three, still are below 100%. Barely. Three points below. Barely. Well, the Dogs lost their first two games by combined 101 points to the D's and Saints. See, we're at that point in the season al already where there have been enough games that you don't remember each team's full history. I remembered the Demons game. I totally forgot the Saints game because they've gone five and one since then, which is pleasantly surprising. I would expect some changes for Carlton that aren't injury related because of their slip and form lately. Maybe Zach Fisher and Matt Owies come back in for completely merit-based reasons based on their reserves performances. Should also note that Tonda Conan could exit concussion protocols and Matt Cottrell returned from a foot injury with a good showing in the VFL, where the Blues narrowly lost to the Lions at Princess Park. It's weird saying, oh yeah, Carlton need to shake up their forward line, but that's where a lot of their issues have been. They just need to get other players involved more easily other than Jesse Motlop crumbing. They need to communicate. They need to act like they've played organized football before. Harry McKay and Charlie Curnow need to realize, wait, we don't need to go for the same ball all the time. Like, those are things that should have been worked out a long time ago. Those were things that should be instinctive, though. 
those are things that you should also just these are two guys that have played together a lot so this should not be an issue for them unless they're trying to compete with each other for the Coleman on the Bulldog side couple of very significant outs Adam Trelore with a hamstring injury and then Jamari Hagen suffered an adductor injury in Canberra which leaves him doubtful for this week also, my rising star pick has really gone to shit now that Sam Darcy has a small hole in his lung. Yikes. So that was sidelining for a while. He'd been in reserves anyhow. The Bulldogs have a bunch of those guys that was like, can any depth piece step up? But when you look at their list of guys who have been playing VFL, it's like, yeah, you don't mind bringing those guys in for a game or two. It's just you don't want to ask a lot out of them. Among those are... Hayden Crozier, Mitch Hannon, Buku Thomas, Toby McLean, and Riley West. All solid players, just just not guys that you would want to... I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Uh, so, I, sort of in-betweeners, like, not quite... Like, a little bit better than quadruple A. These guys are better than quad A. Like, they'd be everyday players on a bad team. You know, they're marginal players on a good one, and they're everyday players on a bad team. Those, those are the sort of guys that, like, you wonder, especially, like, Thomas... As young as he is, you know, maybe they ask for a trade at some point, go somewhere they can play a little more. I forget if Buku grew up a dog's fan or not. One of his friends growing up, Kwani Kwani, went to Cal with me and I got to talk with him a bit about the footy. And I know that a lot of the people around him were dogs fans. So if that's the case, then maybe that's another reason why Buku might not want to move away yet. But something's got to give with these quintuple A guys or whatever we're going to call them. They can't just be complacent being top guys of the reserves. There's no concise term for guys who would be solid players on a bad team, but on a good team or would be like the weakest links. We need to create a term for them, clearly. This could be a work in progress. We can all think about, I can, I'll think of like an example from another sport at some point. Yeah, um, for now, I'll just say the dogs are favored by a point and a half. I know missing Trelore is significant, but that still seems low. Like, have you watched how these teams have played lately? Also, a good Bulldogs defense against a Carlton offense that kind of does the running around like a chicken with its head cut off thing. Liam Jones and Ed Richards against the two Colemans seems like a pretty favorable matchup at this point. As weird as that sounds with some of the physicality that Mackay and Kerno can provide at their best. My second favorite game of this round is the Sunday opener. And this is going to have the footy world all to itself because there's a three and a half hour gap between the bounces of the two games on Sunday. No, the second afternoon game before the, the twilight bounce, I guess. Yeah, it'll be the Crows hosting the Saints at Adelaide Oval. You like Crows games in the afternoon. I This would be a good night game too. It's just Crows colors pop in the daytime just as well. But this is a game that at the start of the year, I think when the league put these matchups together... Thought, all right, we'll make the Sunday games a couple that probably shouldn't be a ton of attention because they're not going to do great numbers since it's Mother's Day. Uh, all of a sudden, Crow Saints is pretty appealing. Even though the Crows have lost their past couple, they're down at 4-4 four and four and 10th. They haven't lost any admirers. They continue to play hard. They could be 6-2 and two right now. Hey, that's where the Saints are. Saints are at third, which, I mean, they all got the job done last week. It was not fun, but it got the result they needed. Hopefully that was a wake-up call. Like, yes, we won, but we should have quadrupled them. I mean, they can just look at kicking accuracy, but I just hate that the whole style of play was boring. But this is going to be a good clash because you've got a pretty entertaining and compelling Crows team against the Saints team that can suck the life out of you. And 
Adelaide's physical, and I don't know how the Saints are going to really respond to that. I'm looking for big performances out of Rory Sloan and Luke Pedler going through the middle. Because since showdown, I've really noticed Sloan for that physical role that he can play. Where, I guess, you could tell that that was missed last year once he went down with his ACL injury. I mean, the Crows were still a few steps away from really contending last year, but Pedler was also hurt, I believe. And so the two of them being in has been as much of a factor as Isaac Reichen and Darcy Fogarty buffing up their forward ranks a lot. Just Fogarty continuing to have good form and Reichen providing something they really needed on the small end. Especially when Josh Rochelle hasn't been as strong this year. Could he get dropped? He could. I'm also worried about Riley Philthorpe getting dropped. Now, I know Lachlan Galant has played pretty well down in the sandfall, so he deserves to be in consideration. But you know me. I am the Riley Philthorpe liker. You are also a Riley Philthorpe liker. Other good sandfall performers lately at the midfield position and forward position include... Sam Barry and Brayden Cook. Looks like Cook's kind of a wing. We know that they're going to have to make some changes defensively because Nick Murray is concussed. Well, Josh Worrell seems like it's an easy way to bring him in. He was good in the reserves coming back from his hamstring injury. And he's a piece that I really liked watching in defense at the end of last year. You got him and Michael Lenny in there, and you can see some real promise in the younger defensive ranks for the Crows, where we identified that as such a problem area last year. Other options could include last year's number five rookie pick, Andrew McPherson, or McPherson, not sure which, as well as Patrick Parnell, who's got some AFL experience. Parnell hasn't been back in since he got concussed round two. Will Hamill's another option. List pressure is a good thing, especially on a young team like this. I mean... I was just thinking about this when I was thinking about, like, you know, Sam Wiedemann playing so much better without having to look over his shoulder. I think it's a case-by-case thing. Some players respond better when they have the heat put on them. Some players are actually better off just uh, being able to count on being in the team every week. I'm thinking Ross Lyon, as part of his, you know, put-the-clamps-on-teams thing, tries to do what I would have done against the Crows, and that's really try to cut off Luke Pedler from the equation, because I think, like, he's the one who, you know, Things kind of spread out from him to other guys. But I think he's kind of the main artery there that I don't think gets enough attention. Good circulatory reference. I was trying to think of like, no, artery is a perfect term for that. I know I mentioned, I think I had described him as a node last week as well. But like you think of like with a flow chart or a, I guess a food web, because it's, it wouldn't be just like a chain. I think this would be more of a web. He's, he's an important one. You want to talk about pressure in a different sense. Marcus Windhager has been good for Sandringham with the VFL. There are a couple candidates for, for him to tag. It is fucking insane to me that he hasn't been in, considering that he's a skilled wing and tagger. It, maybe Ross Lyon's system just isn't big on tagging, which I, I think that's it, actually, yeah. I, I get it, but he's just a good player. Maybe you'll see him looking for a move to a system that's better for him than Jack Billings was strong in his VFL return, and Ross Lyon had talked about heavily considering him last week when the Saints had been struggling to get good kicks into the forward 50. And uh, it might be time. It might be time for Max King to return. His recovery has gone well enough that he might come straight in or he could play for the Zebras. Or is it pronounced Zebras in Australia? I always forget. Zebra sounds pretty cool, though. Crows are favored by seven and a half. The over-under for this game is 161.5, which is under, which is the lowest of 
any game this week. The highest, by the way, is Brisbane Essendon at 184 and a half. I guess they're just backing in Brisbane to have a big game, I think. But in this one, it's, the over-under could tell you a bit about, you know, can Ross Lyon control this game? And I think it's going to be something of like a referendum on Matthew Nix's coaching. There's there's a lot to this game aside from just that it's a good game. I think we should be able to come out of this one with a lot of takeaways about not just who won, but why, but how and why. Yeah, and I think it's really going to, we're going to see someone get taken out of their element in this game. And if the Crows can win a low-scoring game or if the Saints can win a higher-scoring game, I think the latter is more likely than the former. I don't know. I think the Saints have enough of an ability to to rebound that we've seen from them. They're, they're such a strong team and moving from defensive 50 to forward 50, or, or at least they showed that earlier on in the season, that they could end up opening this game up a lot. The final game of the round is one that kind of sounds like a stinker in first, but now I think about it more, I'm actually kind of interested. It's Collingwood hosting GWS. I believe this is the Giants' only visit to the G in the home and away season. And the Giants and Pies also played their last year in round 15. It was a miserably rainy game. The Pies led by 37 after three-quarter time, but the Giants kicked accurately and only ended up losing by 11. That was kind of a theme last year, I guess. The Giants actually kicked pretty well in bad conditions. Just my thing about them last year, I, n- I never thought about that because so many of their games were so boring. They were all in that like four to five goal range. And this year has not been like that. Their games this year have been intriguing. I guess the one against the Lions you know, was mostly decided pretty early, but it still wasn't a bad lot. And that is their largest margin of defeat this season. Nine plus ten points. 21. Their largest margin of victory is 16. So 21 is their largest margin either way. Wow. This just, the Giants have been fun to watch because they've been in close games. Meanwhile, Collingwood have actually had three games decided by more than 22. They have the 29-point win last week, the 33-point loss at the Gabba, and that 71-point thrashing of Ford Adelaide. They have had two of their signature comebacks. I guess you can count the Geelong game as well, although that was, they kind of ran away with it in the fourth against a depleted team. I I really look at Essendon and Adelaide as like the Pete Collingwood. They enter this one. Once again, unsure about Nathan Kruger, who I, ju- I just want him to be healthy because he's a solid player. He's recovering from a rib injury this time. Also, Josh Carmichael was good in VFL, but they probably don't need to make many changes. I also really enjoyed Jack Ginevin being the sub. It's something I had thought would, would have been a good move for a while, and I was proven correct. He ended up coming in for Bobby Hill, which is pretty like-for-like, and provided a really nice spark late that help the Pies maintain that momentum and close out the game well. He'll work his way into the 22 and into the 18 long term, but for now, I think the sub's a great place for him. More uncertainty around the Giants list for this week. Ryan Angwin suffered a bit of an ankle injury in Canberra, and Toby Green was left out because of an ankle problem that had been bothering him for a number of weeks. So for him to have delivered as he did in the Sydney Derby, despite that, is really impressive. The four-goal Brett Kirk medal winning performance there. In the VFL, Max Grisevsky, who is still winning on his debut, and Jake Riccardi played well. I remember being pretty critical of Riccardi last year. He also didn't get off to a great start this year, and I'd been calling for Aaron Cadman to enter in his place for a bit. And with Cadman having been a bit quieter these past couple weeks, maybe you could just see that move reversed. Although, I mean, that would be pretty cruel to deprive Cadman of 
his only chance of playing at the G this year in all likelihood. You know, maybe consider like would depriving him of that kind of light a fire there, or is that what's needed? What what does he need? Does he need more time to grow? I don't know. I trust Kingsley to figure it out because at least it's been presented to us that he has a pretty good relationship with these guys, kind of understands what works and what doesn't psychologically. I mean, clearly he's comfortable enough to have players do like weird show and tells and bring in all sorts of bottles of milk if they want. I want Jason Gilbian, but they could get some help defensively. Obviously, Sam Taylor's out for a few more weeks, but Phil Davis could be back, which could give you some help su- shutting down, you know, a one-on-one matchup like a Brody Majacek, possibly. Uh, yeah, like a Brody Majacek. Finally had that five-goal game last week, potential goal of the year. I mean, Collingwood doesn't have that one key forward matchup. Last year, you had Mason Cox and Darcy Cameron be sent forward sometimes. But Cameron remains out, and I mean, maybe you could have Mason try to bust some packs in the forward 50, especially if Billy Frampton continues getting a lot of ruck time. I really liked Frampton's form of the ruck, and, you know, it wasn't a spot where we saw him at Adelaide, so I was really unsure of how he'd be there. And he did a really good job. He made Peter Laddams look pretty awful. He made him look like the way you think of Peter Laddams. No, when I think of Peter Laddams, I just think of, like, decent player, but kind of a grub. But getting Davis back would... Like I said, hell, I, I'd love to see what it would look like when you actually have both of Davis and Taylor really functioning. I think that can be a, even though Davis is getting older, I think that could be a super fun combo. Getting older, yeah, he's 32. So hopefully he stays healthy through the year and hopefully he's able to play one or two more, really be able to be there with Taylor because this Giants team can rise pretty quickly, I think. They've already shown a lot of these first eight rounds a lot more than I thought they would have been able to. There are still some pieces that, haven't come in for them in a bit with not just Davis, but thinking, for example, Jacob Ware, who was pummeled those first couple rounds. I'd be shocked if Collingwood lose this game, but I wouldn't be shocked if the Giants made him work for it. This is 99% have tipped Collingwood. Now, obviously, that includes a lot of Collingwood fans, and I don't see too many scenarios in which they lose this game, but I think a 34 and a half point line is actually really high when you consider both these teams have a pension for close games. There's also the distinct possibility that the Pies do just run them over. Yeah, I mean, at some point, the Giants are due for a real stinker. I, the only one they've really had was at West Coast, but I like their form overall. You know, I mentioned Brody Majacek and his five goal performance and how he was someone that I considered to be a real important character of round eight, but, uh, Turns out from the poll that we ran on Twitter, the main character was really not quite one person. It was just the inaccuracy of Sunday. The inaccuracy of Sunday sounds like some sort of like Roman biblical conflict thing. Either that or like a or like some bad parody of the audacity of hope or the significance of the passage of time. The significance of the passage of time. The significance of the passage of time. With that in mind. It's time for our predictions for this round's main character. It seems like there are a couple of really easy picks, so we're going to figure out who goes first here. All right. Rope, sham, bow. It's, it's called a rock-off, and I threw rock and he threw scissors. So main character, Jason Horn Francis. I'm taking the easy road this week. You know, I want to go a bit outside the box because Tom Stewart, Dion Pressier are too obvious. Main character, the Crouch Brothers. There's a high likelihood that they'll both be in. Brad's obviously in for St. Kilda. Matt should stay in for Adelaide. Something to watch for Sunday. 
that I'm not sure we would have touched on otherwise. I like it. Brilliant. I hope they are on each other at the first bounce. I hope there's banter there for the beginning. I fully encourage, even though it'll be Mother's Day, each one saying nasty things about the other's mom. Like, I'm totally in favor of that. Well, our mother is a pretty cool person. And she'll probably never listen to this, so we could probably throw in all sorts of ridiculous, completely untrue things. I feel like this has gone on pretty long, though, so let's wrap this up. We're on Twitter and YouTube at Americans Footy. I'm on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. I'm on Twitter at Castle Media. Grian Harambe is sleeping on my bed right now and is on Instagram at CathNameGrian. And you are wherever you are. And we'll touch base again on Twitter throughout the week. And then... Monday or Tuesday for the round recap. Uh-huh.